Welcome to the Justin Broker Show, where we discuss real estate, financial advice, positive mindset training, and so much more. I hope everybody out there had a great week. I am your co-host, Graydon Square, with the man, your host, Justin Fromstein. Big what, Jay, what up, bro? What's up, brother? How you I'm doing? I'm um, way better than I was with my ear infection. Like, I was going to ask you about that. You you doing good? You on the men? Yeah, I, I actually went to a, a nose, throat, and mouth doctor. Shout out to my guy up in uh, Central Phoenix. He was... Uh, Amazing! Like he looked at my ear, he goes, "Yeah, you got a bacteria in there. I got to get you, you know, little drops." And and then the drops, I had to go back because the drops weren't good enough for me. I had to get some medicine. Got some medicine, took that, some antibiotics. Finally, after like three days of excruciating pain, I finally started having some peace. And uh, people don't realize that if you never had a, an ear infection or a mouth, you know, it's cavity or whatever, like the pain from the ear, it was like um, a cavity in just, your ear. <laughs> it felt like worse than a cavity Ooh. because a cavity you can numb. Right, you can right. numb it and get it fixed. With that, with the ear pain, there's nothing I could do to numb it other than go to the doctor, get, and even when I was taking whatever it was, the medicine, I think I don't know if it was a moxicillin or whatever, but whatever I was taking was I had to take two of them every four hours, and I still had pain for like three days. Mm. And um, finally, on the third day, I felt a little bit better, but it was ongoing. And I had the drops for like a week after that. So I just definitely uh, after get I never had one before. So actually, after having one, like I definitely have a lot more appreciation for people who have an ear. You know, were you able to trace it to back to where you actually yeah, got it from? The lake, the lake. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I was at Lake Roosevelt, and um, you know, we jumped in the water, and nobody else got one, but I was in the water probably a lot more than everybody else because yeah. I love the water and I go underneath. But I was in it was like dirt in the water, which is not normal. I've been in the lake at least what 50, 60 times in the last couple of years. And I never had this experience. So I think it's because of all the monsoon rain and all the washing up. And that's kind of what made it just the perfect storm for my ear. Yeesh. Well, I'm better now. As a person with uh, some big ass ears, I will say that sounds like my worst nightmare. It was not fun. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're better now. A little housekeeping in order. I want to thank Mike uh, Lucalano for his appearance last week. Yucalano. Is it Yucalano? Yucalano, like ukulele. Oh, okay. I said it with an L. Okay, Yucalano. So Mike Yucalano, he was our guest for our hard money lending episode that we did last week. I just bought a deal for Mike. Did you? I just bought a deal for Mike, actually. Yeah, so like we met up. We had our podcast. I think it was a great podcast. I I listened to it. Again, you know, and I told Michael last night, I said, hey, man, you got to listen to Mike. He's like, okay, I'm going to listen to myself, you know. He's got to come back on. Yeah, I told him, I'm like, you got to, he, lo- he loves it. He wants to rap on the, uh, He's on the so, I'll give him a beat, bro. Yeah. We'll freestyle. He, he bro, wants okay, to, okay. I think he wants to rap. I really think, like, remember before we, we came on, he yeah. was rap. He was like yeah. thinking it was, he was spitting, Biggie. Yeah, he was trying to spit Biggie rhymes. <laughs> actually, I'll be honest with you. He knows more Biggie rhymes than most kids today who he, actually he had, Yeah, rap. he had some Biggie down and he was like, he's like, oh, I want to, I want to do that. I want to do this more. I think when you get a mic in your face, like, it just, it almost brings out the little kid in you sometimes. You know, yeah. you're like, I want to get out there and spit. You know, the entertainer. So he lo- he loved it, man. He had a great time. He told me and Nicole, his his lady, shout out to her. They were like, they loved it. They had a good time, and yeah, he he's all about it. And then he did hit me up, and like I said, my family hangs out with his family, you know. And uh, he hit me up last night and was like, hey, I got a deal. You want to do it? And uh, I told him like, yeah, the numbers work. Let's do it. So. Yeah. Shout out to Mike. Shout out to Mike. Absolutely. Well, that was a great guest. Uh, Today's episode, we're going to be doing an episode about virtual lending. Or, I'm sorry, virtual flipping, right? Yeah. Like, Uh So the idea is that if you're already in the flipping game, you basically understand what that goes into. But I do want you to give people a brief definition of the 
you know, what physical flipping is as it compares to, to virtual flipping. So, yeah, so physical is like you go to the property, you see the property in your own eyes, you meet the contractor, you have a one-on-one with them, you're able to see it physically, touch it, everything. Virtual is you basically do everything without seeing the property as far as like physically, right? You can see pictures, you can see videos, you can Zoom, you can FaceTime, but you actually aren't physically there. And you also, you're working with people and hiring people basically without even meeting them. So it is a, um, it's more risky in the sense of like if you've never done it before, but once you get it down, it can be extremely lucrative because it puts you in markets that you normally wouldn't be in. And it gives you the opportunity to make, in my opinion, even more money. And it's also the ability to kind of like it gives you the ability to make money, I guess, when you know you could actually have a regular job and still be able to run this job, you know, and make extra money. So it kind of gives you that opportunity. So I thought we'd dive into this. Absolutely. So what are some of the pros and cons, or let's go with the pros first of virtual flipping as opposed to physical? Pro is you can get into a market that not everybody's in, you know? Um, I'm in some markets that there's very little competition, and um, that's one pro. Another pro is you, you know, where I live in AZ, the average home price probably is about 350000 450000 I'm buying homes in certain markets for fifty k, hundred k, hundred fifty k, that probably have a spread of a hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know what I mean? So if I'm rehabbing it and and the remodel, yes, remodeling <coughs> might be a little bit more because I don't have the same connections I have here. But if you shop around and you find a good contractor, and you tell that contractor, hey, I'm going to give you three, four, five jobs, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going in this market, my goal is to do, you know, one or two at a time. And you can find people that are willing to work there because that, that contractor looks at that as, okay, I got a guy who's going to do potentially five to 10 houses right. every year, and I can make money, right, as a contractor. And so he's, you know, he or she is more open, especially if you're the kind of contractor that's like, <laughs> if you're the kind of investor that's very clear with people, because what I tell my guys on my team that work with me and we do virtual flipping, Hey, be very transparent with them. Don't overpromise. Don't underdeliver. Honor your word. Keep your word. If you say you're going to give them ten grand on Friday, wire them ten grand. But yeah, the biggest thing is a lot of people. What I've seen is they the way they fail with virtual is they don't honor a time scale. They don't get the materials for the content, or they don't have a deal. They don't have everything set up properly, and then that just creates more drama. So things are much more punctual based. Mm-hmm. They have to be much more appointment based. I'm assuming, as opposed to saying. Hey, do you have some free time on a whim? Let's let's go look at the house. We can do a walkthrough, that sort of thing. Yeah. So like, there's there's pros and cons. Like the pro could be that contractor can go to that house at any time and walk it. You know, if the home is vacant, you put a lockbox on it. They can go there and walk the property. The negative is you, they need a, they can walk it, but you don't really know what you want to do, right? So what I tell a lot of con I tell a lot of my contractors, I say, hey, have you ever worked with a flipper? And if they never work with a flipper or they've never been an investor or they've never done deals, those are probably the contractors you don't want to work with. Mm. The people who say, yeah, I've done investors, I've worked with investors before, I've had a good experience, not a bad one, those are the people that are better. I, like, ate a lot no, <laughs> for lunch. Okay. So no I'm worries. Breathing, it's I'm good. breathing a little heavy. Um, <laughs> I ate a lot and I worked out and I was running around. Some little. Eat? I ate, um, what was it, chicken shawarma with, like, pita and, like, could you so believe like, I never, feel like could you believe I've never had shawarma before? <laughs> yeah, it's a Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, you know, Greek. It's it's really good, but so, I ate it. And I'm, so a lot of the people who are basically having to rely on the appointment based aspect of virtual flipping, uh, do you think that the transition is hard if you come from a, a, a boots on the ground type of assessment 
of, of value? Is it, do you think that the transition is more difficult or just the right information? <clears throat> I think like, so I'll give, I'll kind of give you an analysis of what I've done. So currently I started flipping out of state in January. Mm -hmm. So it's been nine months. Okay. Before that, I did some out-of-state deals, but not in the level that I'm at now. Now I'm doing in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 deals out-of-state in four markets. So just to give you an example, um, when I started it, I just knew that there was other markets where I had friends and people were talking about, hey, you know, you should do Georgia, you should do Florida, you should do Texas, you know. And I was like, what are you guys making there? Like, dude, we're buying houses for 50 grand, we're flipping them for 250 grand. What is your rehab? 80 to 100. Okay, so you're making like 80 to 100 grand out of state on 150K investment. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm interested. So that's how it started. <clears throat> so then I started marketing to sellers. Okay. I didn't go on the MLS. I didn't start buying on the MLS because that's honestly not really where I would be looking for deals. You know, sometimes there's good deals in the MLS, but that's not really I look. I look off market deals direct from seller or from wholesalers. Now, once I figure out a deal, I'm going to have time because I'm not rushing to buy it. I'm not going to an auction. I'm talking to a seller. I might have a lot of these sellers gave me 30, 60, 90 days to close. Okay. During that 30, 60, 90 days to close, I was the one that was calling the realtor up. Hey, man, I'm going to list this property. What could I list this for? You know? The realtor was like, hey, I could list it for $250,000. Well, I'm getting, you know, hey, the seller wants one hundred twenty-five k. Man, that's a deal. Where are you getting these deals at? This is what the realtors are telling me. Well, that's a deal. Where are you getting these deals at? And my response was, I'm direct marketing to sellers. And they're like, wow, that's crazy. How do you do that? And that's my niche and right. what I do. So I didn't really get into how I do it. But I was the, I got their interest. <clears throat> so I ended up picking up like 10 buyers from realtors. A lot of realtors buy and sell homes too. And so I picked up a lot of people that wanted to buy from me, right? But I didn't really want to wholesale them because making 20, 30 grand on a wholesale deal, making 100, is, you know, I'd rather flip it. You know, Absolutely. especially at that price point. Yeah. So I was having a lot of people call me and reach out to me wanting to buy my deals for 30, 40, 50 K more than I bought them for. But the way I looked at it is like, Hey, I make 500 grand. I can make 1.5. So I can make an extra million dollars if I retail these. Yeah. It's a little bit more work. Yeah. I got to pay my, my guy that works for me, you know, a little bit more money, but all in all, let's just say I make 800 grand more. It's, it's worth the, the, yeah. the extra time. Absolutely. So I ended up realizing that. A lot of realtors, I'm a real estate agent, a lot of realtors always want more business. I don't think you can call any realtor right now and say, hey, I want to buy a million dollar house, and they'll tell you no. Right. Right? So think of it this way. If I flip 15 houses in a 250K piece, that's $3 million. What's 2 or 3% of $3 million? That's 90, 70 grand and 90 grand for that realtor in a year. Wow. So to that realtor, he's like, okay, if I can make 70, 90 grand off of you, Right. Why wouldn't I? But this is what I want of you, Mr. Mrs. Realtor. I want you to walk the property. I want you to go check it out. I want you to follow up with the contractor, make sure the contractor's there working on it, getting it done timely. I don't need you to manage the contractor, but I just want to make sure that the work's looking good. I want you to make sure the property gets you know properly clean and it's properly listed. Can you do that? Oh, no. I can't do that. Okay, next. Oh, I can do that. Cool. You're hired. Wow. And then it's up to me to keep them fed, right? So now I'm keeping my guy fed. I'm like, hey, I bought six deals in this area, you know? And when they see you bought six deals cash, they know you're not full of crap. Right. They're willing to do more business. And then you have, then you start getting their deals they send you. They start talking to you about more stuff. 
you just start opening up the doorways. Because the more connections, the bigger your network is, the more money you're going to eventually make. You yeah. know, you may not make money today, tomorrow, 30 days, 60, 90, 120, but uh, six months to a year, you're going to make some more money. And I always tell people, you have to treat everyone like, hey, this could be a million dollars, right? So every realtor I have could be a million dollar income in three to five years, you know, okay. if I hire them properly. And they can make two fifty, three, four hundred thousand on the side. Why would you turn that down if you're a real estate agent? It's not that hard to list a house. You can hire a transaction coordinator to put all the paperwork and do the photos and do everything. And you just pick up calls and get offers. And then you have the transaction coordinator. So honestly, I'm a real estate broker and I have a transaction coordinator. And shout out to Cassie. She's awesome. But I don't have to do that much. Mm. Right? Right. I'm not soliciting for the deal. I don't have to market for the client. I don't have to go sit with the seller. How much time do you do that with? If you're a realtor, you got to go sit down with the seller. Hey, I can sell your home for $600,000. Okay, I want 3% listing commission. Well, I can go pay a 1% commission to this wholesale brokerage. I can sell my home to Zillow. You have competition. But if you have somebody that's like, yeah, I'm going to give you all my business. You don't got to meet with me, nothing. Just send me the paperwork. Let's do it. Why would you turn that down? You right. wouldn't. No. So the only way you turn that down is if you're fucking retarded or you're too busy. And if you're too busy, then why are you even taking my phone call? Agreed. <laughs> so it's interesting. You talked about other agents and you talked about different markets. So in the virtual flipping arena, how do you go about looking at what markets to flip in if you're not from that market? Great, great information. So great question. So one of the biggest things is there's different reports, right? So like Arizona has a Cromford report. There's different reports you can grab. And you what can was that called? Cromford report. Cromford report. So it's C-R-O-M-F-O-R-D. Well, that Cromford report has, hey, this is what homes are going for. This is the market. This is how fast they're selling. This is all the data of the market. But that's not really going to tell you Anything other than this is a hot market, but you can Google right now and see the top 10 markets. Phoenix is like number one. Mm. We went up 30% in a year. Another market that's crazy hot is Seattle. Another market that I looked up <clears throat> that's really hot is like LA, San Diego, Temecula, um, Riverside County. I think there was like, I think there was a part of Indiana, uh, Utah. But ultimately, the market, I mean, a lot of markets are going way up, but Phoenix is, is shot up. So that also made me a ton of money the last year. But most importantly, just because a market's 30% up doesn't necessarily mean it's a great flip market. I mean, it, it, it does. Like, it's a good flip market right now, but it's not all the case. Like, I'm not going to go flip home. Like, if you told me El Paso, Texas is the hottest market out there and there's only 20,000 people in the city, that might not be a great flip market, yeah. even though it's because it's small people. So what I look for is cities that are decent size. You know, I look for cities that have over 100,000 people. Because if it's less than 100,000 people, it's probably going to be harder to sell it. It's going to yeah. take longer. Unless you are a vacation town or a resort town or you're like a beach city. If you don't have those features drawing you or they don't have, they don't have a draw. like It's not like Boulder, Colorado, like a snow resort. Like I'm saying luxury places. Yes, the small town doesn't matter. Right, right. If it's an Airbnb or something like that. But if you're just looking to flip and you're like, hey, I love Missouri. You know what I mean? And Missouri, like the whole the whole town, the whole town's 10,000 people. You're going to have a hell of a time selling that property. Well, and what I'm also assuming is that building rapport and trust with people you talk to is going to be harder because it's a smaller knit community and they're going to know kind of you're an outsider. I'm assuming they're going to feel that if you're negotiating or does that not factor into it as much? No, no. most people don't care. Okay. I mean, a small town just comes out of money, you know, like. I feel like if a Walmart shows up, Walmart's only going to show up if there's enough people there. You know, Walmart's not, it's just demographically, right? So if there's enough people to buy your product, you're going to be there. If there's not enough people, you're not going to be there. Like, you're not going to see a Harley dealership open up in Rocky Point, 
Mexico. Right, right. You're just not going to see it. Why would you do that? There's nobody buying them, right? But you open up a Harley dealership in Scottsdale. You know, you open a Harley dealership in Mesa. But it's just supply and demand. you got to look at demand charts and supply charts. And what makes somebody successful in flipping is not is, – it's just do your research. You know, like if – and here's the other, the other aspect of it. I started trying to buy homes in Ohio, okay? And I realized I don't like Ohio. That doesn't mean that I'm not, that doesn't mean Ohio doesn't, there's no money in Ohio. There's plenty of money in Ohio. Just wasn't for me. You know, they had different laws. The taxes are higher. Um, the contractors wanted like $30,000 to do a minor remodel, but the house was 20 grand. And I'm like, why is the house 20? And my buddy Jeff, which by the way. Why they want so much. Well, <laughs> the thing about Ohio and what I've noticed is the Northeast, it's very expensive to remodel houses. I don't necessarily know exactly why. It's just, that's what they charge. And, you know, here in Arizona, let's say a house is 400 grand. No one's going to spend 400 grand on their remodel, on their $400,000 mm-hmm. house. It's not going to happen. But there, you buy a house for 30 grand, you could spend 50000 60000 to make the house nice. But then, I guess, into the, the buyer's mind, it's like, okay, I'm only in it for 90 grand. Right. The mortgage is like 250, 300 bucks doesn't, I don't matter. It is what it is. But that's the demand. That's what they charge. When I bought in the South, which is like I buy in Arkansas and Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee and all those other markets, the remodels were normal. You know, a full remodel was 50K. Made sense. But when I'm doing a full remodel and it's like, you know, 100, you know what I mean? Right. It's right. got to make sense. So then you have to know what the remodels are going to cost <coughs> so you can better assess the purchase. So that's an interesting thing that you brought up because that's a good segue into it. How are you uh, assessing effectively from a distance? So is there a certain skill set that you take from physical uh, observation that you take virtually or is it just a different game altogether? So my my perspective is this comping properties is you I've had realtors send me bad comps in multiple states. So I'm educated enough to look at a comparable and I can say this is not comparable mm. based on the distance of where the house is, the radius, right? The time. Like so if I see a house that's three miles away and that's a comp, it's not a it's not a good it's not, comp. Yeah. If I see a house that, unless all the homes are three miles away, right? But if I see in that vicinity that that really three-mile-away home sold for 150 k and my little piece of crap home that I'm buying for $20,000, which, by the way, really does exist, and it and that comp is eighty k, but the remodel is going to be forty, i I'm really not going to make that much money. Right. So I'm in it for 60 65 k and it's worth eighty, and I sell it in commissions. That's not a good deal. So just because a home is cheap does not make it a deal. Make sense? That makes sense. Somebody, I mean, we had a deal that was like, I think $10,000. And the guy's like, yeah, I want 10 grand. And like, everybody's like, oh, it's such a good deal. It's so cheap. But for Arizona, 10 grand is cheap. There's no homes for 10 grand here. So when you hear this in another state, a stupid person, which is most people are stupid, they'll just go, oh, that's a deal. But you have to be, to be smart, you have to go analyze that deal. Right. To get smarter, to know. To not be an idiot and lose money, because I say that that you're stupid if you go out buy the house for ten grand and can't sell it. Now you're stuck with the house for ten grand. That's a bad investment. Agreed. So what I always tell people is, if you're going to take the risk, make sure the reward is great. Because if you're going to go out of out of your state, right, and do flips out of your state, make sure the deal makes sense. Don't take all of your eggs and just buy a cheap house because it's like, oh, that's about cheap. Now. It's also a mindset of, do you want to have rentals? Because if you buy rentals out of state and you want to buy 20 houses out of state and you have the money to do that, that's a different game. I'm talking about virtual flipping. Mm. So for me, I'm buying homes virtually. My goal is to buy them at 50 cents on the dollar. 
Okay. So the house worth 300 grand, I want it for 150. Now that doesn't mean I don't deviate. If right. the home is in good condition, doesn't need a lot of work, I can move my offer up. And people are like, well, how do you get people to take that? It's very easy. Okay. Most sellers, this is the truth. Most sellers, if they want to sell and they're motivated, because that's what we're looking for, motivated sellers, they're going to tell you, like, <clears throat> for instance, out of the 12 deals I bought out of state recently in the last six months, I think five of them were all basically in the military and they were moving out of state and they just wanted to get rid of the home for what they owed on it. They just didn't want to be in the hole. They didn't want to have a house, mortgage, to repair it, whatever. And a lot of them had renters that were already in the house trashing it. Mm. So they didn't want to go back and put all that money into it. So let somebody else deal with it. That was five of them. Two of them were people that already inherited the property, lived in it for 10 years, and said, yeah, I'll take 80 grand. I know it's worth 160, but I'll take 80 grand. Any reason they just they just wanted to get out of it? <clears throat> um, one of the ladies I talked to, she, which I should say my team talked to because mm-hmm. I kind of got involved later, but my team talked to her and she was basically just, I want to buy five acres of land with a mobile and spend 70 grand. If I can get 80K, I'm good. Nice. So it, that was one. That was two people kind of similar. And then we had um, one lady didn't even live in the state. She lived in Texas. She had a waterfront property. She wanted 140 grand, which, by the way, now that was like seven, eight months ago. And we kind of got lucky because COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, lucky, I should say, like the market just shot up. So the home went up like 80 grand in a matter of three months. Wow. So we made 80 grand on that deal. Um, there you was guys an, already listed and got rid of it? It sold in a day. Wow. We sold it in a day, like a day. That was back in April. And That's then, the thing about deals, I'm assuming, right? Like you don't have a problem moving them. Not if it bought right. You know, not if they're bought right. Um, okay, so let me ask you this question: If the, you say not if they're bought right, now I'm assuming you're also making as-is offers to a lot of people, where it's like, hey, we'll take it in in what condition it's in. I don't really need to see nothing other than, hey, it's standing. You know, there's no major structural damage. Uh, can you talk about the difference between an as-is offer and then maybe something a little bit more vetted? So. I typically don't write offers until I have the person at a point where they're going to take it. So I don't like to give my – the way that I lock up deals is I don't like to tell anybody a number. Whoever says the number first loses. Okay? So what I try to do is build rapport, get to know them, get to know the seller, find out their need, what's up. Because if they tell me, like, I don't have urgency, you could be the best salesman in the world. There's no urgency. You can sell them, but is that really going to close? Is that deal right. going to get done? So what I tell people is when you vet people, why do you want to sell? Why do you want a cash offer? Well, um, we've heard everything. We've heard family death, probate, um, inherited the property, don't want it. Renters suck. You know, with COVID, with that CDC memorandum where you couldn't evict people, that was a big pain in the butt. A lot of people didn't want to deal with that. I had to keep properties for three, four months and get tenants out. So when I bought them, I had to I had to pay the money. So I bought them out and I had to kick the tenants out. They didn't want to deal with it. And what for people don't who don't realize, can you briefly go into the hassle it is to actually kick people and evict people out of a property? So every state, and that's another thing. I had to learn eviction laws in different states. I had to research it and learn it. So like in Alabama, the law was if the tenant does not pay rent, you have to give them thirty days notice. And then if the tenant has a hardship, like a COVID 
CDC issue, then they get another three months automatically. And then if they wow. were, and so there was situations where like the people were like, should I could have this person in there for a year and not get any rent? Especially if the CDC declares that COVID hasn't ended or the, the, the pandemic hasn't ended. That could be a, essentially a, something in, you know, that doesn't end. Well, they did. That's exa- well, that's exactly what happened. It lasted for almost two years. It just, it barely just is ending. So that was a thing. What I would do is, so the, so the biggest, there's, there's a multiple parts of this. So people are not going to take a low offer if they have no issues. Let's be clear here. So you're looking for people who like have a tenant not paying, somebody trashing the place, they inherit it, they don't have the money to keep it up, there's a mortgage due on it. They need cash. It, it could be a million. You have to find urgency. If they don't have urgency, they're not going to sell you the home at that price. So it's like, for instance, if I owned a Lambo and I bought it for two hundred fifty grand, and I told you, "Hey, great, and you know I paid cash for it, but I need cash now. Like I need cash now. You probably give me a hundred grand. Okay. If you give me a hundred grand, I still, I saw, I lost hundred fifty k. Okay. You could probably wait around, sell that vehicle for two hundred, maybe even two fifty, if you found the right person. Okay. The reality is, why did I take that loss? Maybe that 125K or that 100K, I am smart enough to know how to invest that wisely. And losing out on 150 didn't matter to me because I could go make a million dollars. Yeah, but you probably aren't going to be the average person to do that, right? Like if you're losing money on that particular decision, I'm assuming that you probably don't have the investment. Maybe you do. I'm not going to make that many assumptions. I've seen. You're losing like that. I mean, not necessarily because, I mean, I've met with wholesalers who have a deal. They can't move it. Nobody wants to buy it, and they lose it. So what's better, losing a deal and making no money or just making a little bit? Making a little bit. Exactly. So that's the way these people look at it. I'm probably going to lose the house. I can't pay the mortgage. I have a tenant not paying me. What am I going to do? Might as well just sell the house for what I owe and let me move on. Right. And that's what happens. And I don't need to get 100 deals like that. Most of these people, you know, 20 deals, that's $2 million bucks. Okay. So if it cost me fifty thousand dollars in marketing and a hundred grand to pay an employee, I paid one hundred fifty k. I made one point eight five. See what I mean? I'm not looking. I'm not looking at it from a perspective of I need to get so many deals. I'm looking at a perspective of right time, right place. Right. And then when you have that mentality, like, let's go over this. Like, what's better? One rap song that kills it makes you a hundred million dollars. Or a hundred shitty ones. I mean, I'm assuming you're not making a lot of money off those shitty ones. You want that one. But I mean, hits. in the scheme of things, how many rappers have a hundred good songs? None of them. It's what a couple. How many artists have a hundred good songs? Movies. Yeah. How many good? How many good movies are out there? An actor does a hundred movies. How many are like really good, like phenomenal? Five, ten. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You you have to pick and choose your battles. You know what I mean? If you're if if your movie kills it, if you're one of the lucky ones and has like Fast and Furious, there's like what nine of them now. Yeah. If you have one of those movies that does nine movies and they all made millions of dollars, great, good for you. That's not common though. Nope. So, out of all the series, out of all, I bet you out of all the series out there in the world, like you have Twilight, you have Harry Potter, right? You got James Bond that's been around, but they've had different Bond characters and different people. Fast and Furious. There's probably a handful of really good movies that came out and had multiple movies. There's a handful. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. In like 50 years, that's there's a handful. And I'm sorry, folks, comic book movies don't count. <laughs> I'm a comic book movie fan. They don't count. Um, let me ask you this question, because I think it's interesting when you're assessing uh, properties from a distance. 
How do you assess the repair, uh, let's say what the repair and refresh and renovation cost is going to be based on it being in another place? What it, Does what costs in Alabama uh, change differently based on what is going on in Arizona, or how does that work? So, yes, cost of remodel is greatly different in, depending on the state you're in. Um, the other factor is usually we're only going to hire licensed guys out of state. So we're not going to hire any men unless it's like change out a light bulb. You know what I mean? If it's minimal. But if it's something like painting, flooring, cabinets, whatever, granted, I'm hiring licensed guys because I don't want to run the risk. So, yeah, it's a little bit more money. But that being said, <clears throat> if you're buying the house at 150 it's worth 300 grand, and you got to spend 40 grand instead of 30 grand. Who gives a shit? Right. It's not like that 30K model's 100. You know what I mean? And we're not doing New York real estate or L.A. So there's a fine line. And you also know you have to shop around. You know, you might get a bit of, like we had a bit of guy quarter us like $36,000 to do this house, and we got a guy down to 24 grand. So if you shop it around, you can find it. So how do you really know what stuff's going to cost? You don't. Mm-hmm. There's really no way to really know what. But if you buy it well enough and you get pictures of it and you get comps and you did your research and you did a home inspection, you do everything properly, you're probably not going to lose money if you bought right. And that's what it is. You make all your money on the buy, just like vehicles. My friend flips cars. He makes all his money on the buy. Mm, he bought it right. That's smart. Um, so do you ever feel the need to to have to bring in somebody from where you are to send someone where you're you're doing business? Do you ever feel like, hey, I need to pay someone from my team where I'm at to actually go check out a property in another place? Uh, the first three flips I did out of state, I did that. I actually personally went there with Matt Beans. Okay, Matt yeah. Beans. Shout out Matt Beans. Shout out to Beans. Um, we went to Nashville. We went to Alabama. and went to Huntsville and stuff like that. So I did actually walk a couple properties okay. we bought. I can tell you this. <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. You just have to make sure the one factor is buying in the right neighborhood. And how do you do that? You know, you talk to your realtor. Like, hey, what do you think of this neighborhood? And the realtors will tell you. It's a shitty-ass neighborhood. you know, Or that's a good neighborhood. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. That's, you know, and usually they'll tell you, like, oh, that school district's real bad. You're like, okay, well, I probably don't want to buy in a bad school district. So what I would say is, you know, get your information from, like, talk to three realtors. You know, you're always going to be better off talking to a couple more than one. Like, if you talk to one, you only have one information. But if you talk to two, three, four realtors, find out who's who. Who, Try out a few. You don't have to just have one. I've had situations where, like, I fired a guy. I just fired a guy in Arkansas. He sucked. He fucking sucked. Got rid of him. Shout out to the guy that sucked that got fired in Arkansas. Yeah, and I ended up hiring my buddy Scott, and Scott freaking did it, got it done, you know? And so sometimes you just got to go, hey, you know, you're just not the right fit, you know? And I hate to say it, but this is your money. It's your business, right? Don't give your money to people that are not going to take seriously care of it. Like when I kept hearing excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse, and then I'm hearing, and then after, you know what's funny is like after you fire somebody, you find out all the other shit that they didn't do right. Oh. And then you know, it's oh. like, yeah, so I, kind of, I started hearing like, oh, Scott was like, did you not, did you know he just gave out the lockbox code to everybody? And I'm oh. like, so you had people just walking in my house that weren't even realtors? Yikes. They could have just stole all my shit with no protections? It was just, it just blew me away. So, you know, I guess, you know, I also would attribute my, my connection to God to be like, hey, why did I get a f- feeling to fire him? And then right after that, bro, right after that, a week after I hired Scott, we had a leak. Scott told me like the same day. What would have happened if that dude had it? Right. You wouldn't have found out. You might not have found out at all. Might have a huge problem. Yeah, absolutely. So there is risk. <laughs> but if you find the right people, you'll be okay. You just have to have faith and you have to find the right people. But it is extremely lucrative. 
And the way I look at it is, okay, so if I make an extra million dollars, let's just say I have a few bad experiences and they cost me a hundred grand. Let's just say worst case scenario. Still made nine. Right. So to me, I don't look at it the same way. I look at it like this. Most people work their whole life to make a hundred grand. I mean a million dollars. Their whole life to make a million dollars. Most people do not make two or three million dollars their entire lifetime. So for me to take a year and learn something and do it out of state and make money and be successful in the first nine months and make close to a million dollars. That's success. That's success. Absolutely. So talk to me about working with local companies. Let's say, um, you know, attorneys in the areas, title companies in the areas. You you spoke about realtors in the area. Uh, What has that experience been like for you? So, this is another thing. So we live in America, and there's there's different title companies. So there's in Arizona, it's like title and escrow. There, it's attorneys. So Alabama, it's attorneys. Arkansas, there's attorneys that do them, and then they have a title company, but they don't have escrow. So it's like every state's different. Mm. They have different rules. Um, what I would say is just ask questions. Like one of the things I love about title company, realtor, lawyers, whatever. If you ask the right questions, you're gonna get the right answers. So. Just be ask them questions. If you don't ever think a question's stupid, like one thing I I don't like is people go, "Oh, that's a stupid question." It's not really a stupid question. If you yeah. the only time it's a stupid question is if you're a dick and they are asking you a legitimate question. Because if they ask you like, "Hey, what do I do in this situation?" Like I'm closing a deal in Arkansas right now, and they're like, "Oh, you're out of state, no problem. We'll go ahead and email everything to you." Hey, by the way, we need this and this and this, and then you gotta get this notarized. You gotta get this done. And if you get everything back, I need your operating agreement and this and this and that. Well, I'm already so used to doing deals here that I already know all that stuff. Right. So I was like, okay, no problem. I got her this stuff in one minute, like right before we came in the podcast. I emailed it to her, and she was like, "Thank you so much. You're so fast." And I'm like, "Yeah, everything's in my. It's already saved. It's already done. Like I have it in my email." So I just forward it. But. Yeah, just ask questions. Like, communicate with them. Ask them if you don't know something. Ask them. You know. Yeah, and I do like the fact that you you do articulate that there are different laws and different requirements and policies that you have to acknowledge and be aware of when you're doing business in different states because that's going to open you up to whatever you know legal pitfalls that you will fall into if you don't acknowledge that. Oh, I'll so. give me. I'll give you a perfect example mm-hmm. of a thing I had to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. I had to learn this. So I just did a deal, and uh, the guy goes, my attorney goes, in Alabama, he goes, hey, by the way, you can't assign deals in Alabama. And I go, what do you mean? I have friends do it all the time. He goes, well, it's a it's a felony. And I go, what do you mean it's a felony to, to wholesale deals? Well, you have to disclose to the seller that you're making 30 grand or 40 grand, and most sellers are not going to want to sign off and agree that you're making 40 grand wholesaling it. Okay? Because in Arizona and California and Nevada, you don't have to disclose that. You just... You go to the closing table, they give you a HUD. Most people don't know how to look at a HUD. They just see that they're getting the same money that they agreed on and they sign them. But in these in those days, you have to sign and agree that that seller has to sign that you're making 30 grand off their house. But if you buy their house and close on it today, sell it tomorrow, no big deal. Right? Mm. So you can double close it, but you can't assign it. Interesting. So I had a deal. I bought it for 60 grand. I sold it for a hundred. Okay. And um, shout out to my boy Brandon Brandon Chavers. He's uh, he he did the deal with me, and we had he actually had a title company that knew how to do that. So we did a deal, right? And realized later that you can't really do that, right? It was just, but it got done. They closed. It was a cash buyer. The seller was fine. The buyer was fine. Nobody sued us. Nobody got pissed off. Like there's no issues. But the reality is, I didn't know. 
Luckily, this happened like over a year ago, and it wasn't under my LLC, so I really have nothing to risk. Right. But I was at that point going, "Wow, I could I could have committed a felony without even knowing it." That freaked me out. So after that deal, I decided to just clear everything with an attorney before I did a deal. And believe it or not, paying an attorney a couple hundred bucks to look at your contract to make sure you don't get sued or go to jail, worth it. You know, like, you know the credit card commercials. Yeah. Correct? You know what I mean? They yeah. go. <laughs> you know, I I love those commercials where they like. I feel like whoever created that was a genius. But you know, you go to the dog pound. You go to the you know go get your dog cleaned. You know, fifteen dollars. Right. Right. You <laughs> you go eat lunch with your friend Graydon, forty five dollars. Right. I took you. I got you a burger and a fries. It was you know, a good so burger. Too, I got you a really high end burger. It was a good burger. And then I got you a nice drink and a milkshake. Right. We spent forty five bucks. And then it goes. And then he goes, making sure you're home on time to see <laughs> to see your wife. Priceless. Priceless. It's just a genius thing. But the same thing applies to real estate. If you have a a, a lawyer who's a professional, that's all they do is do real it's estate. Real estate law. And he's like, hey, I'll look it over for two hundred bucks. Here's a thousand dollars. Look over my next five contracts. Yeah. You know, and and believe it or not, they'll this blow. Here's another cool thing. They'll go out of their way for you. If you have to evict somebody, that that guy's an attorney too. He evicts. So you know what my attorney said? Next one's on me. I'll evict the person for free. What? Yeah. That is fantastic. All you gotta pay is a court fee. And I go, I go, what? I go, are you sure? Are you sure his name is Michael? I go, Michael, what? And he goes, Yeah. He goes, Man, I'm sixty. This is what he told me. This is so funny. He goes, I'm sixty eight. Okay. He goes, I'm a Louisiana boy. I live on a bayou. Like I live, you know, this is where he's from, right? He goes, I don't need this money. He goes, I just do it because I don't want to sit home with the wife all day. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but when, but when, I, um, when, I, when he told me that, I was like, I get it. You know, I mean, I love my lady, but like time apart's okay. Yeah. No, yeah. for sure. Especially when you're out there, you know, moving and grooving and making money and, and you're closing deals and stuff like that. It's like, listen, I want to be able to come home and tell you, hey, I won the battle today. I don't want to sit at home and look at you all day wondering if I could have won the battle. So. Yeah, he was he was cool. He was cool. But, yeah, he's been awesome. I've used him on 15 deals okay. in Alabama, and he's been solid. And, in fact, most of the people that work with them really like him. So. Okay. So what happens if a contractor in a virtual flip situation quits on you? You know, this guy isn't where you're at, and something happens, and you don't fire him, and he just decides, oh, I don't want to do it no more. He just quits on you. What do you do? Well, hopefully – that that has happened once to us. We had a guy in Mississippi. Um, his name was Kenny, and basically that's kind of what happened. He just got over his head. He had just had too much going on, and he got to the point where he's like, he just told Adam, you know, me. He's like, hey, I'm done. And I think, you know, one thing I've learned in the business is you can kind of tell when people don't know what the fuck they're doing, right? Three months later, the house is not even close to being done, and you're like, what happened? Like, why does it look like a bomb went off? And so we started asking all these questions because guess what? We had a realtor that was showing up every day on his ass. Shout out to Natalie. She's freaking awesome. She was on his ass every day. Hey, what's going on, Kenny? Why is it not up? Why is it, why is it not? You know what I mean? So finally he just was like, I'm out. We hired a licensed contractor, David. David, really good dude. And so far, good. I mean, he's almost done with the house. It's wow. been like three weeks. He said it'll be done in six, and he's getting it done. I can just say that it's okay to let people go. 
You know, I think the more mad you get, you know, that that relationship move didn't work, the more you dwell on that, the more that hurts you. Mm. The more you just go, hey, it happened, move on. And if you let yourself, if you let the weight of the world on you, like if you let that situation affect you so greatly, you're not right. You're not going to be successful. And I've had to take my own advice because I've been that guy too in the past where like I let stuff weigh on me. But I've had to learn to go, fuck it. Because you don't have control over anybody but yourself. And you can be a company owner like I am and you can have a company of people, but you can't control your people. You can ask them what to do. You can say, hey, come on time, do this and that. But ultimately, it falls on them. If they want to show up early and get the job done, it's on them. I don't think that I have to babysit people. And when I babysit people, they're the wrong people to have. Agreed. So you have to find people that have their own initiative and their own drive in all walks of life. And with contractors and workers, like the key is pay them when the job's done. Don't try to pay them later. Pay them right away. Honor your word. Do everything properly your way. And 99.9% of the time, you'll be okay. Every now and then you get that one person that sucks. But if you hire right and take care of people and do what you say you're going to do, you're not going to have as many problems. And make sure hiring, like if you do have a house that's a big remodel or doing an addition or whatever out of state, hire the right designer. Hire the right people. Spend the money. Buy it right, spend the money. Well, you said something interesting, and this relates back to the the other situation where you had to let someone go, and this situation is someone quitting. So you're analyzing people's ability to either, you know, uh, be successful with the, the, the job that they've basically taken on or not. But then how do you know if someone is either being overwhelmed by the job or they're just simply busy? Like, how do you tell the difference between someone shamming and slacking off and not, you know, the guy who three months later you show up and it looks like a bomb went off where your boy, he came in three weeks later and the house is almost done. Yeah. So the question is, is like, how do you how do you tell the difference between someone who is busy and someone who's dropping the ball? So a little history on this house. So. We bought a six-acre ranch in Mississippi, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We bought it for $115,000. And the house was 2,000 square feet with a pond and a pool. Comps on it were three fifty plus. So we knew there was plenty of money. The remodel was probably going to be 80 to 100 grand. Okay. Um, we started working on the property, did the remodel, started making it look nice, and we had to order everything. We had to order windows. We had to order the pool liner. We had to order cabinets. So all that stuff takes time. The cab- the window order was six weeks. So until we started getting materials, right, because the demo was already done, what do we do? Can't do anything until you get the materials. So six weeks of the time was just getting materials. So after six weeks, right, then we started seeing, we could see that stuff was, oh, shit, you know, I don't know how to do plumbing. I need to get a plumber here. You know what I mean? Ooh. So now it's week eight. Okay. And we're looking for the plumber. Oh. Now week 10 comes out, we get a plumber. Plumber goes in, does the job. We find out week 11, the job wasn't done right. The other contractor did the cabinets. We hired a different contractor to do the cabinets and the pool and, and other stuff. Well, he comes in and he was like, hey, dude, there's some problems here. That was by week 11. So when we got another contractor in there, then that's when the dude was like, fuck it. I'm done. Correct, because the yeah. contractor started noticing it. So, And I'm it, assuming you were on him too, right? Like, hey, what's going on? I'm getting I mean, reports back. Adam, I had Adam help me, but I was involved too. Um, I would say that 
you know, my realtor, Natalie, was the one that was really noticing. And so was the contractor because we weren't there. But the good news is the property has only gone up. The good news is I don't really want to sell the property because I want to keep it because I want to have a six-acre ranch in Mississippi so I can go hang out, ride horses. Shit, we can go fly out there and go boating and hang out. So for me, I thought it would be a good summer home, right. you know, to have my family go there on top of our Rocky Point place. And and then I can, you know, rent it out for probably two grand a month, $2,200 a month if I want to. So it was kind of like, man, you know, maybe this happened for a reason. Um, and maybe the goal was just to keep it, you know. But at the same time, you know, yeah, we lost some time. It didn't cost that much because I paid cash for it, so I didn't get killed on holding costs. But we learned our lesson. The good news is we bought a really good deal. Okay. And uh, we didn't really lose any materials. We just lost probably a month, probably lost a month of time, you know. I see. So it wasn't an awful thing. I mean, he did get all the windows put in. He did get um, some framing done. He did get a porch done. I mean, he got stuff done. It wasn't like nothing got done. Okay. It just wasn't as quick. Yeah, and obviously someone with a little bit more experience can come in there and, and do what he could do. Well, he had a crew. So David had a crew. Okay. He was a licensed contractor. So he had a crew. Kenny didn't have a crew. Okay. It was just Kenny and and that's it. And maybe I think he had one guy show up once in a while. But he was also a full-time firefighter. He wasn't a full-time contractor. And he was like, oh, I could do this house and I can handle it. It all started out good and go. I mean, I think the money is what he saw because it was like, you know, $30,000 in labor for him. So I think he saw the thirty grand. and he's like, okay, I'm going to do that. I think his original intention was good. I don't think he was in, in – I don't Malicious, think he yeah. – No, I don't ever think that was his mentality. Yeah. I just think he came in and got over his head. And that's something I'll tell you. Like one thing that you have to realize is some people are too prideful to say, hey, I can't do this. And you have to learn like – you have to learn. And that's something we're always learning is like, if you can't do it, tell us. Right. Because I'd rather know. Hey, man, you know what? I'll do the windows, I'll do the doors, I'll do the – and I'll do this. I can't do the – I'm not a plumber. I'm not an electrician. Do they think that you're, they're going to lose out on, on money or do they, if they feel like you're not going to say, well, if you can't do this, I'll just find someone to, get, to do everything else? Of course. Yeah. But that's the truth, though. Why would – so when you hire a general contractor, they don't do everything, but they know how to hire the right people. Right? They know – they don't – so David's not doing the physical work himself, or at least not all of it. He's hiring crews to get in and out of there, and he pays them a fee, and then he makes his fee. That's it. So you just got to find the right people that are not, you know, and, and again, in the construction business, there's, it's feast or famine. There's guys who are making a killing. There's guys who aren't making it. And so it, it is part of that business where, like, you just don't know if that guy's feast or famine. Mm. But when a guy tells you, hey, I'm working as a firefighter, which is, like, I think a three- or four-day-a-week job, and the fire station was five minutes away, and you get off work and you knock out stuff, it still should have been done. And if you needed help, why didn't you tell us yeah. to hire somebody else? Because the other contractor was like, hey, I'll, go, I'll help you guys. So, I mean, he could have just said, hey, I'm going to have David do this and this and this. I'm going to do this and this and this and manage it well. Because that was originally what he was supposed to do. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted mm-hmm. to take on – he wanted – again, he got greedy and wanting more and more stuff. Because originally we were just telling him to do the windows and the drywall and the painting. Mm-hmm. And then it would turn into he wants to do way more. So then it gets into the, you know – the pride aspect of not wanting to admit that you can't do what you've agreed to. Correct. And so pride is pride is like the worst thing. Yeah. But there's a lot of people with that. I have it. And so for me, I have to acknowledge that I can't do everything. Mm. And so I'm forget, I'm forgiving. Like I'm a forgiving guy. Like, Hey, you know what? If you can't do this job, no hard feelings. Yeah. 
do what you we paid him what he did like he didn't get burned out of money well, i was just going to ask you that did you we pay do, do you pay these out-of-state contractors up front is there uh we pay them as they go okay we pay them as they go so like we'll usually do a draw system like hey a lot of these guys want 5k a week you know if the job's like a forty thousand dollar job and they say it's gonna take six seven weeks we pay them usually four to five k a week every friday and then we buy all the materials Usually that we usually we pay labor, we buy all the materials, and then they just pick them up, put them there, or Lowe's or Home Depot, whoever we buy them from delivers. So, and a lot of these contractors have vendors that they buy from too. So, like we have one right now that he's getting all these custom cabinets, and the cabinets are badass. <clears throat> they're and they're and his price is a really good price. So he's like, hey, I'll give you my cost on these because I know you guys are in this situation. Like what happened? But I would say the, you know. Pride is something that everybody has and everybody needs to work on. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's something that anybody can just say, oh, I don't have any pride. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're lying. No, y- you do. You do. Yeah, we everyone, all have it. Everyone has we it. We all have Absolutely. pride. So it's just fun. It's just, but at the same time, it's knowing pride is like good and it's bad. It's good in the sense that you have pride in your work. That's a good thing. But it's bad if you have pride in like you're screwing somebody else over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're delaying their success right. because you're holding them back. So it's a fine line, you know. Like I would love it. I would have loved it if the guy finished the job. I would have paid him, no problem. We already paid him everything we owed him, so like we didn't leave on bad terms. Yeah, he didn't get burned. He's the one that burned us basically. Right. But but again, we had to learn the hard way, um, and that's the risk. But I'll tell you this: I'd rather have that happen to me than buy a shitty deal. Right, so look at the risk. Okay, I lost a month of mortgage. So, I, so what's my interest on that place? Like eight hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I lost eight hundred bucks in interest. I have a hundred and fifty thousand dollars spread of profit. Yeah, you can eat it. I can eat it. You can eat it, <laughs> and I can. You know what I mean? So that's that's the thing. Is so I was smart enough to buy it right. I was smart enough to market it right. Okay. I was smart enough to lock it up. I was smart enough to insure it with the storm that hit. I don't know if you know the storm hit Mississippi. Yes. yes. So I was smart I mean, enough to have. I had insurance. On I was it. just going to ask you about that. I had insurance when you're when you're doing out of state virtual flips. Mm-hmm. What type of insurance? Everything locally. Do cover. you have to? You have to cover every flood. I, I cover everything. Fire, earthquake. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> so basically, this house cost me eleven hundred dollars every six months. So not bad. Okay. To cover my ass on that kind everything. of investment on yes. everything. Yeah. Okay, that's smart. So you basically have your your out of state contractor come in. They've confirmed or they've they've worked on the property. Um, you have your your real estate agent come through, walk it, and make sure that the the value is maintained and everything. So then the question is, when do you get into the signing of the legal documents, and how do you do that across state lines? So they email them to you, and then you go to a notary, you sign them, and you FedEx them back. And nothing changes because you're in Arizona no. and they're in Alabama. No, or the, the Arkansas. Cool, no, you just have to go to a legal notary. You have to go to a licensed notary. Do notaries change based on location? Like a, a notary in Arizona is going to be licensed and different. Like no, legally, no, no, it doesn't. Okay. It doesn't matter. So okay. you can get no. So the only way you'll have issues with something is if that title company says, "Hey, I need you to physically be here to sign." Um, but I haven't had that problem. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so the contracts that you're you're dealing with and you're dealing with uh, any of the virtual flips and stuff like that, all that stuff is handled over the internet as well, over email. Email, and, phone. Yeah. You don't have to actually be there for that. Con- I have contracts I, I docu-sign with them. Okay. So then the question is, is how long do you wait once it's been listed? 
So when it goes on the market, okay, one thing we forgot was how do you pick the right materials? Like what? Okay. So what color? I know we were talking about cabinets and flooring. So typically what I do is I have my realtor send me comps of stuff in the area, and I'll look at what their home looked like fixed up. And I'll look at like, okay, it's white checker cabinets. Okay, it's grays. And right now, whites and grays are in, so that's usually how I pick it out. And matte black and gold. So that's how I figure that out. I just go with what's common and what's popular there. Usually the stuff that's popular here is popular there, most of it. Okay. Um, but as far as the uh, the end, so like listing it, um, pulling comps, figuring out what, what it's worth. Well, most of the time right now, lately, what's been happening is the homes have been going up every month. So I've been having houses appreciate a lot. So originally I buy it and it's worth 300 Now all of a sudden it's worth four. Mm-hmm. This has been happening a lot. So I was finishing the house, getting it all done, and then all of a sudden I have these opportunities to make way more money. And so, of course, I'm going to have them re-pull the comps, reanalyze the deal, look at the house, take pictures of the house, get the property, you know, make sure it's clean, staged, and then list it for the higher dollar amount. Usually my realtor will tell me, like, hey, let's list this at $299, let us list that for $349. Most real estate agents, once you hire them and you, you really look at comps, they're pretty solid. Then They'll know what they want. Especially, like, most of my agents are very pop. Like, Nick, Natalie, and Scott are phenomenal agents. They're, like, top producers. So they know their stuff. Awesome. Um, so they'll run the numbers. I put it on the market. Now, when it goes on the market, if it doesn't sell within a week or two, usually there's something wrong in the house. Maybe there's drywall that's not done right or there's a light fixture that's broken or there's, you know, it could be minimal stuff. What I typically tell people is if you want to avoid all of that misconceptions, hire a home inspector. Right when it's ready to right before it's ready to list, like before you clean it and stage it, hire a home inspection. It's three, four hundred bucks, they'll tell you everything wrong with the house and you'll get pictures. Then you know if your contractor does everything properly. Okay. Usually the licensed contractors do better work than the unlicensed ones. That's what I've learned. Okay. So then once you do have it listed and someone makes an offer. Um, you're essentially using your everything's your, virtual. You're you're using your realtor for that as well. The virtual mm-hmm. realtor that's in the location. On yeah, the they spot. send me. They'll send me the offer through email. I'll look at the offer. They'll tell me, "Hey, does it look good? Do you want to counter it? Do you want to accept it? Whatever." Usually, we're going to counter it. We sign the contracts, and then he submits it. Goes into escrow. They open escrow. They get the earnest money there. I get our earnest money receipt. Once the they do an inspection, usually the inspection usually takes seven to ten days. Comes back. They're going to ask for some items, or they're going to approve it or they're going to deny it. Usually they ask for some items and then I usually fix them and then your appraisal gets ordered and then the docs come out. So usually it's about a 30 to 45 day process. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm assuming if you are working virtually, this process that you have has been pretty much refined to where you can get it to 30 and 45 days. But if you're new would you expect to work in those no, time escrows frames? No, escrows are the same. Okay. The remodel, so what happens is the remodel's different, okay. right? So the remodel could take you one, two, three, four months, but the escrow typically is 30 to 45 days. Okay. Unless it, unless you get a cash offer. I've had cash offers two weeks, seven, 21 days. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, if you guys have any other questions about how the virtual flipping works, feel free to email us at the Justin Broker Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I do have a question uh, just kind of as we wrap this up because I think it's, it's fascinating that people now have the resources to do these things virtually, mm-hmm. to do these things where you can build a team in other states. You can build people who are qualified, who are professional, who have your interest in mind because mm-hmm. your interests serve their interests as well. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people who are unaware that they have this power at their fingertips. Yeah. So what would you tell people as far as um, 
the leverage that they have and the power that they have if they're willing to actually put some of the legwork in to do this virtually. Because if you're in California, yeah, I'm sure the real estate market is the real estate market. But when you're getting into it, I'm sure that's not the place you want to be. Maybe it is, but most people probably don't want to start there. If you want to be an investor, you probably don't want to start with a million dollar house. You probably want to start with a hundred or 150 or 200 K house. What I would say is, you know, I have, I've been in the business where I've had a lot of people tell me like, I'm not taking the risk, Justin. I'm not going to go put a $300,000 investment up in Alabama. Fine. That ain't my, that you're not like, (laughs) nobody's opinion matters to me. This is just the reality. I don't care about people's opinions. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. So what I tell people is, Make your own decisions. You know, if some, if everybody else that you talk to tells you like, oh no, just do a house for a million dollars in your neighborhood, or you know, if that's what you want to do, do it. The only thing is, if you don't want to spend a million dollars on your first flip, and you want to buy something for a hundred, two hundred grand, you know, email me, hit me up. You know, I can direct you to deals. I can show you deals. Um, we do wholesale, so we can add you to our list. And not only that, like if you need help. You know, what's cool is you can email us on the podcast yep, and absolutely. ask us questions. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people don't want to pick up the time and, and email and ask questions. But if you're sitting there and you're like hearing this and you're like, you know what, like, I don't want to, I don't want to ask a stupid question. There's no stupid questions. Like we said earlier, just ask us a question. Absolutely. You know, and if you're somebody like Graydon, that's like, Hey, I'm interested in real estate. I want to learn more. You know, the you know, people have Googled me and, and called me. <laughs> I've actually gotten a few people hit me up yeah. on my phone and I pick up my phone, guys. I'm not, you know, some multimillionaire that doesn't pick up my phone. Shit, I, my best friend is worth $100 million, and he answers his phone call every couple of days. So he's not, he, I mean, yes, he's busy. Yeah. But if I need to get a hold of him, usually if it's urgent, he'll call me right away. But if it's like, you know, hey, man, I just want to chat with you, go get some golf, go get coffee, whatever, he's pretty cool with that. So just find what it is that you want to do. There's, we've gone over virtual flipping now. Um, we can get into virtual wholesaling in another episode. We can get into uh, what's the next one we want to do the uh, the rinse and repeat one. Rinse you... and repeat. So, yeah. So yeah. So we're gonna have you guys definitely want to listen into the next the next couple podcasts. Next week we're gonna have um, my buddy with Green Elephant. He's gonna come on, and his name's Brian Atlas. He's great. If you guys don't know him, he's a phenomenal investor, and he's grown his company huge in the last couple of years. And the other after that, we wanted to do one um, basically about how you can because I have a rental portfolio that's just growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. How you can buy rental properties, let them appreciate, cash out equity, buy another property, fix that one up, rent that one out, and keep doing it, and over the next five to ten years, build a five ten million dollar portfolio. No, that's going to be a fascinating episode. Not saying that this one wasn't because <laughs> this one absolutely was, but that sounds like something a lot of people are going to want to be interested in. Um, so my last question to you is, from the virtual flipping perspective, you've obviously done it from Arizona, but I'm assuming that you've closed deals that you've worked in other places on in a multitude of places. What's the weirdest place that you've closed a deal that you've been working on? Louisiana. Virtually? Louisiana? <laughs> um, yeah, we had, <laughs> we had a guy that was um, very, uh, he was a band. He, was in, he, he had a band. He was a guitar guy. He was like... He was one of those guys you see at the bar, you know, those bars, like, 56 years old, still living the dream, like, he's going to make it big. Yeah, you know, you, you know absolutely. What I mean? yeah. Sure, you kind of could picture, everybody could picture that. Yep. And 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 he, he's hippie-ish, he kind of loves playing, you know, and, and to him, 60 grand would be so a lot of money, you okay. know? So, we bought his property for 60 grand. 
and uh, he didn't have the deed properly done. Like, he inherited it. Like, it was just a nightmare. Title company didn't want to deal with it. They wanted me to pay him, like, two grand, the title company, to do the file because it was so convoluted, um, which was, like, five times what it normally would cost because just to pay cash for it. And, um, yeah, it was just a pain in the butt. We finally we, we finally got everything for him, and then he disappeared. Oh. So we ended up not closing the deal. Oh, that sucks. But it was. Uh, but we had the contract signed. We went into escrow. We spent all this money, and then he's like, he just disappeared. And I don't know if he died or what happened to him, but that was it. Hey, man, if you're out there, man, <laughs> you missed out on a deal. Uh, well, shoot, that's pretty interesting. I- I'm not really sure why anybody would disappear on a deal like that, but that that is uh, one of those unsolved mysteries. I'm sure that's out there. <laughs> According to Spencer, who was working with me, my boy Spencer, and he basically said the guy just like that's what he does because he was working with him for like six months, and I finally got him under contract because mm. he was working with him for like six months, and he would just disappear for a month, two months at a time. But it was uh, it was interesting. But he was a he was a cool dude. No issue with him. Never had an issue. Um, one other funny situation I had happened to me. Um, I had <laughs> I had a lady um, that uh, told me that she would take a hundred grand for her house. We sent her the contract, <laughs> and she goes, "No, I meant ten grand." So we already wrote the contract of a hundred. We knew it was worth a hundred. We we knew it was a good deal at a hundred, and then she told us like, "No, no, no! I only wanted ten thousand." And we're like, why would we give you, what? what? You already took 100. She goes, yeah, I thought you guys made a mistake on the contract. You weren't going to close. So I only wanted 10000 for my house because my house has mold and it's it's nasty. I was like, her house was worth like two hundred grand, fixed up. So we ended up telling her like, no, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and give you 50K. She like freaked out. Oh, my God, that's so amazing. Wow. She was super happy to get 50K. That's cool. The last seller offered her like, I don't know, the last buyer offered her like 20 grand or something like that. And she's like, no, honey, I don't want you to buy it. It's too much work. And then we told her like, look, well, we, we're in the business to do most. So yeah, it cost us like 60K to, to, do, her, to yeah. do her whole house. Yeah. Um, we sold it for 225, making 110,000 on it. And you bought it 50K? 50,000. Wow. Hey, Justin Fromstein, making those deals. Well, I appreciate your brain, your insight on this virtual flipping. Like I said earlier, like Justin said earlier, if you guys have any questions, no question is considered stupid or unimportant. So we want to answer those questions. Make sure you guys uh, email us those questions at the Justin Broker podcast at gmail.com. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Justin Broker show. And next week, we're going to do our episode on building a rental portfolio. So please check in uh, with us on that. If not next week, the week after that, because I know we got a guest. Yeah, next week is uh, is Brian. And how, I think his thing is like how he's built in three years a company that people haven't built in 20. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. For Justin Fromstein and the Justin Broker Podcast, my name is Graydon Square. Thank you all for listening. All right, guys. Bye. Peace. 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 I'm not going to